This podcast is produced by Unedited. My name's Louise Golby. I'm an independent artist and I've been writing and gigging my own music for around 15 years now. In this series, I'm going to be talking to some of the most established and successful songwriters in the UK. In this first episode, I'm going to be talking to an award-winning singer-songwriter and vocal producer. She's worked with the likes of Rod Stewart, Tina Turner, All Saints, Liberty X, Artful Dodger, and she's performed with Stevie Wonder and George Michael, to name a few. She's won a Brit Award, an Ivor Novello, she coaches vocals for TV shows, and she's been a judge on the UK panel for the Eurovision Song Contest. Also, what's really apt considering the subject matter of this podcast is she's currently teaching a songwriting programme at Talyard Education. I am, of course, talking about the wonderful, talented Michelle Scoffrey. We met at BPI, the home of the Brit Awards and the official charts, so that I could interview Michelle about her career and her songwriting. And the first question I asked her was, if I was to introduce you with just one song, what would it be? I suppose the biggest one is Liberty X, just a little. Mm-hmm. But I think the one for me that kind of turned the corner in terms of, oh, I can write commercial songs would have been um, I Want to Be Your Lady, Hinder Hicks. Oh, yeah. So I think that was my first top 20 hit. So for me, it's like, wow, oh my God, I'm in the charts. Woo-hoo! And then did um, that lead to other stuff? Then? It led to a lot of other yeah. stuff. A lot of other stuff. Um, but before that, there was a, a boy group at the time called Rhythm and Bass. I don't know if you remember them. But two of the members, well, actually, it's all of the members historically because John Hammond Hagen and George Hammond Hagen wrote Just a Little with me. Huh. So we're going back. This is like mid-90s, maybe? 94, maybe 93? And uh, I wrote a song for them called Blame It On The Rain. Ali Tennant was in that group. And so was Wayne Hector, who's one of, you know, the premier UK songwriters ever. So there's a lot of history that runs through um, the threads, I guess. And I really looked up to those guys and... It was, it was crazy because I used to do their vocal warm-ups when they were ready to go and do live stuff. And I'm, you know, at that time I was a kid and it was like, what do you know? And it's like, Psh, what do you know? <laughs> and end up writing a song with them. And it was, yeah, it's wow. been great. Back to the Liberty X thing. Yeah. You said something that it was for somebody else before it went to... So we wrote Liberty it X. to Brief. We wrote that song in mind for Tom Jones. Yeah. And... It was this idea of an older man looking at a younger woman saying, you don't even realise what you have. Like, you don't even need to do much, just a little bit more. That's it. And you're there. Do you know what I mean? So that was kind of the story behind the song, behind the lyrical content of the song. And then it was put on hold for Anastasia. And then we were, um, at the time, Liberty X's A&R was Malcolm Dunbar. I think they were signed to V2. And um, he called us up, it was just before Christmas, and wanted to put the song on hold for Liberty X. And we were all a bit like... Uh, 
and the agreement that we struck up was it needed to be released in the first quarter. It needed to be an A-side priority release and we needed to produce it. Right. So I was heavily pregnant at the time. Um, I think I had I had my baby 14th of January. Five days later, they were in my front room auditioning the song. Five days after that, we were in the studio recording uh, and we recorded them and weeks later, it was number one, midweek. Because wow. I think I remember when it came out, wasn't it like a comeback single for them because they'd had like something kind out of, yeah. and they were obviously in competition with the other PSA. band. Yeah. But then they got that, they did that and it was like, yeah. Yeah. I always preferred them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Battle of the bands. So how did you get in songwriting? Where did your journey begin as a writer? Or what was yeah. the first song you wrote or you remember writing? I got into songwriting through my sister, uh, my sister Sandra Escoffrey, who she was the principal writer for the Escoffries. She literally wrote everything. And my other two sisters were away. Uh, she was at the end. We were at the end of the album. She was tired And literally, she locked me in her bedroom, literally. Um, She kind of lured me and she had a really good way of getting people, you know, to trust her or lure you into situations. Come in, come into my room, sit down. And then she locked the door. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, right, well, you're going to help me to finish this song because I'm stuck and I need help. And I'm like, I don't write songs. She's like, well, you're going to write today. And I'm like... Oh, my God. And about five hours later, we came out with two songs. And they both made the album. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so hard. Hmm. And so I started trying to write other songs. Mm. And I was really lucky because we were surrounded by, you know, producers and musicians. And um, I was a real pest. So at that time, I would get what was his name? Marcus Johnson, who was a producer in the Ethnic Boys, and they did most of the record for the Escoffrey's album. Mm. So he'd send me songs or I'd write stuff and say, oh, what do you think? Mm, Yeah, this is good, but you need to, you know, work more on this. And that's kind of how I cut my teeth and just being annoying teenager going, I want to, let me do it. I want to write. Can I do it? So how old were you then when when you wrote the first song? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I went, I left school, went to college, tried to do my A-levels, but we were recording the album. So I was literally going to college, going to the studio at night till whatever time, then trying to go back to college. So oh, yeah. it, uh, my education suffered, but... Look at you now. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, we've already actually talked about Just Little... You won a Brit Award for it in 2003. So was it best song that year or best single, sorry? Uh, I can't remember, to be honest. Um, What I do remember is that they they won a Brit Award. And I was like, what's that all about? Um, Because at that time, writers didn't get awards for for what they wrote. The artists would get the award. But... um, in 2003, I won an Ivor Novello Award. Yes, and that did. was the most performed work of the year, which was a huge surprise for us because we were in the same category as Kylie Minogue. And we were like, there's no way, there's no way we're going to win. So I got tipsy. It was a champagne breakfast. I got tipsy sitting at the table like, ah, oh, this is all right, isn't it? And literally, <laughs> literally, they when they called us, it was like, it's Goffrey and Hammond Hagen, Hammond Hagen. And I'm sitting there, and uh, 
I think it was a guy Moot that said to me, get up, that's you. And I was like, oh my God. And it was like across the room. All I was thinking of is how am I going to negotiate getting from here to the stage (laughs) in one piece? But it was an amazing moment, amazing moment, yeah. So it's as in performance on radio? On radio, so it basically is the most played song for that year. That's great. Yeah, so... And obviously it went to number one. It went to number one, straight Um, in. Yeah. Oh, right, straight in. Yeah, so the midweek was number one. Yeah. So we were kind of tentative. Is it going to stay there? Is it not going to stay there? But it stayed, it stayed at number one. And then it was also in the top 100 songs of the century. Yeah. By PRS. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, that's a bit crazy. The century. I know, it's, it's mad. What are you most proud of as a songwriter, personally, that you feel like, this is a song that I'm proud of writing? That's hard as well. I mean, it could be a commercial song, it could be one that you think. Mm. You can have a think about it if you want. Yeah, Liv, can I think about that and back to you? <laughs> there's, there's different songs for different seasons. Ah. in your life mm. and I think there's there's songs that I'm really proud of and then there's songs that you sometimes forget about mm. and then someone plays and you're like oh yeah I forgot about that song um, and then there's songs that speak to times in your life and things that you were going through mm. um, yeah the meaning behind it yeah so the for instance the Tina Turner song mm. I'm really proud of that song um because it's Tina Turner, she's a legend, and it nearly didn't happen. Uh, and there was, I guess in a way there's a story behind that song. So we wrote that song. We didn't have her in mind when we wrote it, but when we got to the end of the song, we said, oh, this would be great for Tina Turner. And um, our publishers got in touch with her management and she had gone into retirement. So it's like, well, that's never gonna happen. And then maybe about a year or two later, she decided to do a world tour and needed to release a greatest hits album. So she herself had heard the song and said, I really want to do that song. So it was just mind blowing. It's like, wow, Tina Turner wants to perform one of my songs. And I guess as well, if it was called great, if it was greatest hits, you'd think it wouldn't include a new song. Has to include two new songs. Oh, I see. Every greatest hits album has to have two new songs on it right so yeah out of all the songs in the world yeah she decided to choose this one and uh, my b visa on it so that was like amazing it was just yeah it was an amazing moment really really proud and because of her journey and her story and her legacy it meant a whole lot to me of course really did wow. yeah i loved that oh amazing and she did it in like one take or something really yeah were you in the studio when she I didn't it? make it. By the time I got there, she'd left because oh, she did no. it in one take. <laughs> Literally. Oh, <no. laughs> Had you met her before? No, no, no. But she'd, and she'd she, already gone when you'd got to see yeah. yeah, so I just put my, laid my tracks down and that was it. Oh. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I never thought you'd sing this love.
So before I get into some questions, I wanted to explain how I first met you. Because you might not realise it, but I've actually got a lot to thank you for. And I don't think I've ever actually told you to your face. Oh, okay. So I first met you when my friend brought me along to Kindred Kindred Spirit Spirit, at Rhythm Factory um, in East London. um, Which was the showcase night you used to put on to for up-and-coming artists on the soul and jazz scene. And it was right at the beginning of my music career. I just moved back to London after university and um, had started writing and stuff. And yeah, the whole night blew me away the amount of talent and incredible voices and songwriters in the room. And that night introduced me to Vula, Charlene Hector, Natalie Williams, Nate James, Talia, and of course yourself. And then I was fortunate enough to like become part of the scene and performed at some of your nights and then became really good friends with everyone and still like gig with all the all the same artists and then I met Drew Hawley through the same circles who then ended up producing all my first releases and I still work with him so wow so connections to, and dots yeah. so I, I basically okay. want to thank you I feel like you created me oh <laughs> no thank you thank you for coming through and sharing always sharing your talent and just being a part of it it was a great time in musical history I guess and in a, in that scene in London of spoken word and live music um, I'm really proud of what Kindred Spirit contributed and even just family vibes, love it. It was so nice. Yeah. songs I try to think of um, stories mm-hmm. and concepts so um, every every song for me kind of has a story um, and they there are characters and it's quite conversational um, that's kind of how I think about writing lyric and I guess the melody kind of follows that there needs to be if it's a sad song then the melody's going to embellish that mm. and if it's an up song then the melody's going to go that way too. It's funny because you you think about how other writers may write and some people, you know, they choose the title before anything else Mm. or they write things in a little notebook and stuff like that. I don't really do any of that. Um, I don't, I definitely don't do titles sometimes, but very rarely. For me, it's more about what's the story? Mm. What do we want to say how do we want to express this and who are the characters in this and what do we want to draw out of it? And I, I guess as well, I think quite visually. So when I'm writing a song, I'm thinking about the visual of the song as well um, and what somebody might imagine the song to be about. Mm. Um, so I guess that's kind of my foundation when I go into writing a song. 
So say when you've got given a brief by a label for a particular artist, mm-hmm. do they ever say, we want a song about this? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. And do you find that harder to do? Or um... Sometimes. I think that depending on the artist, it can be really good to get a brief and it be about, you know, oh, we only want up-tempos or they're going through this, so we want to we focus on this particular kind of topic or... Mm stay away from this kind of topic. Yeah, if it's like a person. Um, so that can be quite helpful. Mm. Um, I always find it even more helpful if you actually get to speak to the artist. Yeah. Um, when, I'm, when I do have that privilege of being able to work with an artist, I spend quite a bit of time just talking to them and really getting underneath their skin in a way and just finding out, you know, what's going on in their lives? Where are they? Are they enjoying it? Are they on tour? Are they not on tour? Are they tired? Are they in love? What do they have for breakfast? What do they like? What do they not like? What's the traveling been like? What are they listening to at the moment? And often in those kind of conversations, so much great material comes out of it in terms of what we can write about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it just seems more genuine the the uh, believable the artist saying the lyrics if it's absolutely spurred from actual yeah. things you know about absolutely them. they're more invested mm. have you ever been put with a co-writer that you just haven't been able to oh, like yeah. write a song because it's oh, hard isn't yeah. it being creative absolutely so when I first started writing I guess doing songs to brief and lots of different co-write sessions sometimes they'd be like oh you're going to be in the studio for four days with this person Mm. and sometimes it doesn't work sometimes you just don't gel with them um so one of the things I learned quite quickly was actually no we'll limit it to two days and if it works great yeah and if it doesn't it's only two days yeah and sometimes you really can't do that second day because it's just like there's no chemistry this just isn't working and I guess for me one of my things have always been honesty is the best policy Mm. and it might come across maybe I don't know some people might think it's deaverish if you're like oh I I didn't enjoy that session but for me the best music is made when you enjoy it and when you connect with a person and you know there's more than just beats or chord structures you're actually getting into the fibre of the music and really enjoying it. A story I could tell with that is when I met Mark Hill from Artful Dodger. And at first, you know, when EMI wanted to put us together, I'm like, I don't know anything about, you know, two-step garage music. What am I going to write? I'm not sure I'm interested. And I was like, just meet and see how, you know, what happens. Okay, I'm open to that. So we met and we didn't even go into a studio. We met, we had coffee. Mark is an avid coffee drinker. So the coffee was really good. And he's a foodie. So we got on straight away because give me food. I'm very happy. And we just sat and talked about music and what we Mm. love. And we had so much in common musically. And he's just such a nice guy. Like Mark is one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. And we just got on really well. Mm. And from that, I was like, okay, okay, yeah, I'd like to work with you. Good. I guess it's less alien than just being put in a room with a stranger you've never met. That you've never met and it's like going right. So it was Think About Me before the one you did for... Uh, I think Think About Me was the first thing that we wrote. My good old breakup song. Oh, I know, the lyrics are... That was my bitter song. Yeah, it was my breakup song. So think about me, 
So a lot of my songs really that I write are based on either other people's experience or mine. Mm -hmm. So for me, that experience was, uh, I'd had a really rough breakup. I can't remember what year Think About Me was, but say it was like the year before. And they just didn't want to know me. They were like, you need to get over it. Get over yourself. Like, stop the crying. You're like... (laughs) And about maybe a year or so later, they started calling again and inquiring. And, oh, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 no. So Think About Me was born out of that. Like, okay, when, when you've had your fun and you're lonely and you are by yourself, are you think will you think about me like i've been through that i'm not going through that again so you're on your own Think About Me was definitely born out of that angst of, that out of heartbreak, real heartbreak, you know? And it's, I think there's a line in there that says something about um, when young hearts break, because it was like my first real heartbreak. Like it changes your life and how you see relationships. And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, you got to grow up. And what do you do with this pain? And yeah, there were so many layers to that song. And it's like, oh, I heard that she found another guy. So his girlfriend left him. Mm. And, and I'm like, oh, karma, karma, you know? Oh, yeah. So it was, yeah, definitely um, born out of experience. Mm. But it was cathartic being able to write about it as well. Do you think that person ever knew it was about him? Probably, probably. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually sung that song many times oh, covers really? gigs yeah um it sounds really good slow with the piano yes it does because it's really bluesy oh, nice. i find it really bluesy and you can change up like the rhythm of it i'd love to hear that and then you wrote the one that melanie mm-hmm. all saints melanie isn't it yeah, yeah. melanie black. black yes yeah that's but a great i think song. before melanie sang it uh, a lady called an uh, artist called nicole russo she's i think she was on the original version Okay. And then they chose it as a single, and then they got Melanie Blatt to right. record the single. So apart from obviously relationships and things going on in your life and other people's, have you ever yeah. been influenced by what's around you politically or socially when it comes to songwriting? Um, I think when I was younger, I remember there was a song I wrote in the Kindred days called Somebody Turn the Lights On. I don't remember it fully but basically it was kind of the idea around it was we're asleep and we need to turn the lights on because we're not we can't see where we're going and and we're kind of on this treadmill of getting up and going to work and you know fitting into this idea of just chugging along and actually that's not what we're here for somebody needs to turn the lights on Um, and I just love that song love 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 that song um, and that's probably one of the closest I've got to as a, I guess, um, commentary on mm. social events mm. um, and writing songs around that 
not really my thing. So, I want to talk about your amazing accolades, Brit Awards, and Ivan Novello, obviously now you're on the PRS board. Yeah. What do these mean to you and your family and your... <laughs> oh, what do these mean? Hmm. Uh, I guess it, it means that you're doing something that's recognised, I suppose. Sitting on the board of directors, I've thought about that quite a lot and what does this mean? Mm. It means that you've achieved something in your career, that now your voice is valued. Mm -hmm. um, what it means for me is that I have a responsibility to speak up and hopefully represent other writers in that um, when you sit on a board like that, my, my, one of my things have been the board needs to represent the society and the society is vast. There's so many different types of writers um, in all different stages at the, of their career. Um, from all different kinds of backgrounds and environments and um, influences. Mm. And that needs to be expressed on the board. And I guess coming from the kind of background that I come from, it enables me to have that kind of voice or to ask questions that maybe have never been asked um, on the board. And I take that really seriously. Mm. And I hope that over you know, the next three years and maybe beyond, I'll be able to facilitate some kind of shift or some kind of change, or at least for people to see things in a different way. And obviously, some people might not know what PRS is. They're mainly the Royalty Collection Society mm -hmm. for, for writers right. in the UK, but they do collect for other countries yes. as well. Yeah. But if you're a songwriter, even if you haven't release stuff but you're gigging you get money yeah. for gigging your music yeah. and yeah. I think it's really important to be I love PRS day <laughs> you know <laughs> I love it once a quarter is we it a quarter or twice PRS a year day. we're like yes and <laughs> it's great and like you know they do samples of radio play and yeah. in shops and yeah, yeah. it's that's you're yeah. making money for music exactly. while you sleep and, and those are the things that we're fighting for yeah. to keep those things alive and keep them going because you know you have the high earners but what about the earners, the people that that is really what they live on? That's mm -hmm. really what they're depending on. We need to be the voice for those people as well, those writers too. And also to, I'm really excited and really um, passionate about bringing through new talent. I mean, that's what Kindred Spirit was always, always about, mm -hmm. you know, giving a platform for emerging talent that's non-elitist. You can be on the stage with, you know, I don't know, Corinne Bailey Ray and somebody else that no one knows, but we're gonna give you the same time and the same platform. And for me, that's really important that, you know, writers that are coming through get the opportunity to have their music heard, get the opportunity to earn some money from what they're putting out. Cause it's not easy being a, a songwriter, especially not now. How do you feel about the changes in the music industry? Has it affected your process of songwriting? because of technology and streaming yeah. and everything. So yeah. has it, do you think it's changed the way you write? Yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, in that music has changed and it's always changing. Um, so I 
definitely have to take that on board when I'm writing melodies change, um, subject matter changes as Mm. well. And also, you know, in this age of, I guess, technology and social media, uh, attention spans are limited. So you have to get to the point of your song real quick. Mm. Um, You need more hooks in a song. Um, It needs to be, you know, people can pick out any area of the song, I guess, and find something that jumps out at them. But it needs to happen within the first kind of 20 seconds. Otherwise, they will switch off. Um, So that's changed. Um, No longer are you having long intros and, you know, elaborate middle eights and things like that for Mm. most part in terms of commercial songwriting. Um, And how people consume music is is different, again. Uh, But I think what's stayed the same for me is the integrity of what I do. So it it has to be good, even if it's the the format of it might be different. Mm. Um, My thing is, if I'm going to cringe when I hear it, then I can't do it. Um, And and I've stuck with that. You know, I have to love what I do. And when I hear it, still get that same feeling of, oh, yeah. That I love that bass line or I love that hook or oh, those harmonies or something. Something has to grab me. Um, I kind of call it the download. You know, and you're listening to music, the track, and then something just hits you and all of a sudden you've got a melody or you've got three words and it's going round and round and round and round and round. I call that the download because mm. sometimes you listen to a track or someone's playing chords and nothing really hits you, you know? Mm. Um, but when you get that, music that hits you and that creative spark starts happening that's what it's about and that's what it's always been about and I believe that that's what it will always be about that's how music translates past cultures and past language barriers and parts of different parts of the world because we feel it and if we're not feeling it then I don't what's the point that's kind of where I'm at with it and that's the thing isn't it like a strong melody will always be a strong melody and you take away the production. That's what I was saying. Exactly. Like, with Think About Me, the melody's so strong. Take away the garage beat, yeah. it's still a good song. Yeah. Whereas there's other songs that obviously yeah. it's all about the production. Yeah. Um, I guess that's why some songs, you know, when they say, oh, a song's got legs, mm. and it, you, you, there's so many revolutions of the same song because it's such a good song. Mm. You know, you can break it down, strip things away, and it's still a good song. Change the production completely, and it's still a good song. Exactly. It doesn't matter like what revolution that song's gone through. It's still a good song. And that, to me, that's, I guess, you know, you could call that old school writing, but that's the school that I came from. Mm-hmm. If you take everything away and you've just got piano and voice, is it still great? Or you've just got guitar and voice, does it still stand up? Yeah. If it does, then it's a good song. It's exactly, yeah. Because actually, like, when when I first started gigging, because, as you know, a lot of gigs were no-money gigs. And, like, so I was <laughs> yeah. just convincing a friend to play guitar for me and yep. paying for his dinner or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, for me, was a test of my songwriting. Yeah. Can we just... Can we can still we engage the audience? With, yeah, with just guitar yeah, and me. Absolutely. Even when I was then doing studio versions with yep. Drew and whoever yep. say. Obviously, as well, like, vernacular and vocab changes yes. doesn't it yes, so do you does. find yourself having to like 
put in different phrases that Absolutely. might be said by younger people yeah. now. <laughs> well, I'm really fortunate that I've got a young young person living in my house. Oh, yes. <laughs> so my daughter's nearly 18. So she's now become like, she's like the A&R of the house. If we can get it past her, then we know we're on to something, you know? <laughs> and we'll say something, she'll be like, mm, no, but we wouldn't say it like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, so what would you say? So it's been really interesting. That's great. And then there's some songs um, you write and she's like, oh, no, I don't like that. Or I like that part of it. But then there's other songs and you're like, oh, she hasn't said anything. Oh, 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 she's nodding her head. Oh. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, she might come back and go, you know that song? Yeah, I'd, I'd put that on my playlist. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, we got her. Brilliant. So, yeah, she's been a meter for us of what works and, you know, what we need to tweak. When you say us, do you still write with the same... Oh, no, my code? husband is, is a producer as well and he's I a mix engineer. So we have our own mini label now uh, called 5 to 8 Music Global and we've been writing, we put out an EP last year we're just about to put another one out. Um, so, yeah, music fills my house right now. One interesting thing about uh, recording this podcast at the BPI office is it's actually also where the official charts company are based. And uh, when Michelle's single, uh, Liberty X single, got to number one, um, at the time they weren't giving out uh, actual number one awards. So it was great because we went in, I introduced her to the official charts team and she got a picture holding a number one award for the single. And it was just a really lovely moment for her and and us. So that was just great. Actually, regarding albums, when we were talking about technology and how people listen to music, yeah. people obviously don't necessarily listen to a whole album anymore. Yeah. So in a way, it makes album tracks even more important because you don't want people skipping them. You want... No fillers. Exactly. No fillers. And also it's that kind of single mindset. Mm -hmm. So every song could potentially be a single. And also with an album, obviously, if people don't listen, people might have it on shuffle. So they're not listening to it. Because, I mean, I know I spent so long trying to work out what order to put the album. But does it even matter but it matters to you it does matter and if someone was to listen to it yeah then it matters then it matters yeah but yeah it's almost like but in a way sometimes it takes the pressure off of you as well because you know that you know a listener might not listen to the whole album they'll Mm. pick out their favorite tracks and then that also gives you uh you're able to kind of figure out the temperature of of your work and what you're doing and what people are kind of really attracted to and what they're not. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. So I kind, I of, kind of look at it like that as well. Like, okay, people are really feeling that track cool, so we can write more stuff on that level. Or sometimes you get a surprise and the track that you thought, yeah, we'll put it on anyway. And then people are loving it and you're thinking, really? Oh, okay. There you go. You know? <laughs> what do you think you've learnt on your songwriting journey? Wow. That's a big question. That's a big question. That was an added one. <laughs> it's written by hand. Ooh, what have I learned on my songwriting journey? God, so many things. Um, I think maybe the biggest thing I've learned is integrity. You know, stay true to who you are. Um, people are always going to have something to say. Mm. Um, people are always going to want to change what you do. Um, what I've learned is that 
when you believe in what you do and your ability and maybe even the style of what you do, nine times out of ten, that's what you should be doing. And most people don't know what they like until they hear it. And sometimes you're ahead of the curve and you just have to keep going. You know, sometimes you write things and people are like, I don't get it. And then two years later, they get it. You're ahead of the curve. Hmm. But it doesn't mean that what you wrote wasn't good. It was still good. Just people needed to catch up with you. Yeah. So I think that's that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned, that just because it just because it's a no now, it doesn't mean it's always going to be a no. And it doesn't mean that what you've written doesn't have value. It, it does have value. Um, and nine times out of ten, the first idea is the best idea. Do you ever feel, I do, feel nervous playing a song idea for the first time in front of somebody? Or are you, do you, have you got to a point now that you're like, no, this is good. I know it's good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Because I get <sighs> so nervous. I do sometimes get nervous. I do sometimes get nervous. Um, yeah. I, I think I get more nervous performing than playing my stuff. Mm. Because, you know, when you play your... When, when you've had time to sit down and construct something and deconstruct it and reconstruct it and, you know, flog it to death and then you're like, okay, I'm happy with it. That's great. Mm. But when you go and do it live, it's the one time, you, you know, you might have a crack in your voice or you're nervous and your throat's dry and things don't come out the way you want it. So I think I get more nervous performing it. Yeah. Because I'm like, I can't control these this environment, you know, I can control in the studio. I'm like, oh no, make me a bit drier or give me a little bit more verb or whatever, turn the delays down or whatever it is, I can mm. control that. But in a live environment, anything can happen. This is true. Because I think, I always think of, I don't know, for example, who can I think of that's a prolific songwriter that's, you know, had loads of number ones, mm. someone like Gary Barlow mm -hmm, or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Chris Martin. I wonder if they still get, you know, when they've got a new song idea. Because it's like, until someone else has heard it, will, you know, do people, will someone else think it's good? Yeah. I mean, because I, I did a session with Omar um, that he produced a song for my album and I had a really rough recording on my, like, phone notes. Yeah. It wasn't even, because I had recording equipment. I don't even know what, I think I just hadn't done, like, an official demo for yeah. it. And it was Omar, who's like one of my heroes. And I got, the fact yeah. that I even was in the studio with him was amazing. And he was like, well, come with an idea. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> I had this idea and it was on my phone and I played it. And honestly, I've never been so nervous. But he liked it. And I was yeah. like, great. <laughs> but that, really you know, I think maybe it depends who you're in the room with as yeah. well. Because obviously, I imagine like often when you get put with co-writes, they're probably nervous in front of you more than the other way around. That happens. Like, that must, happens. Yeah. I find that quite challenging to deal with, to be honest. Because really? I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess for me, it's like, because we're there for a common goal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And some, um, sometimes I'm really excited to work with a writer and then they're nervous and it's not going well for them. You know what I mean? And I'm just frustrated because I'm like, I know you're good at yeah. what you do. Just do it. You know, let's bounce off of each other. I'm excited to learn from you. Like, 
let's do this thing, man. But yeah, I find it so interesting when people are nervous around me because this little old me, isn't it? But, but you, you're good at what you do, so people are probably just like, oh, I hope she likes this idea. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I think that one idea leads to another. So That's true. Even if you say something and it's like, the whole thing isn't amazing. Something out of it is good. Do you mm. know what I mean? And it's, for me, that I love writing that way. Somebody will say something and I'm like, okay, I don't like that bit, but that bit is awesome. Let's work on that and jump off of that and bounce, just keep bouncing ideas because that's when you come up with the best stuff. Definitely. So just the final question. You've probably been asked this before, but what song do you wish you'd written and why? <sighs> Yeah, I know. Oh, There's probably oh, loads. Oh, my God. So many. <laughs> so many. Ooh, you don't have to have one answer. Oh, gosh. Every baby face song that was ever written. <laughs> when I was younger, there was a Missy Elliott song. Well, it wasn't a Missy Elliott song. It was a song she was in a group. Um, the song was called Brand New. And I used to love that song to death. And I was like, I wish I wrote that song. I wish I wrote that song. Um, but there's so many songs that have been written that I'm like, I wish I'd written that. But I used to love Babyface. Okay. Like, everything. Everything that he's written. I'm just like, how did you do that? You made it sound so simple. I don't know it's not. Yeah. I always think, obviously, um, ABBA, for example. That at the time, everyone thought they were cheesy, but... They they had this amazing writing. gift of writing something really complicated musically, but it Making still was it sound catchy. Simple, yeah. You know, I just find that amazing. Yeah. You know, like that—that's a skill, isn't it? Yep. That it's clever. It's not just four chords over and over again. It's clever writing, but it's still catchy and then becomes yeah. a massive hit. Yeah. 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 Why that? Yeah, it's an art to it. Definitely. There is an art to it, but it, I think. Um, that's why I find it so so interesting teaching songwriting. Mm. Because for me, either you have it or you don't. I think that you can teach rudiments, you know, um, but that gift is something that you either have or you don't have it. And once you have it, then you can embellish it and you can hone your craft. Um, but I, I, I find it, sometimes almost comical thinking about teaching something that's I regard as a gift yeah it's kind of like I'm gonna teach you I don't even know how to write a song okay let's do it mm. you know and um, well, one guess, of the things I always yeah. say to my students is just do it you know the more you write is the better you'll get at it mm. and no one I don't I you know maybe Stevie Wonder maybe but I don't think anybody wakes up and is a great songwriter. It's something that you develop and you hone and you work at and you keep working at and eventually it comes. And I think the best songwriters don't think that they're great songwriters. They, You still are working on it. Definitely, yeah. If you'd like to know more about Michelle, please visit her website, michelleescoffrey.com and you can listen to some of the songs that she's written on my special Spotify playlist. If you'd like to know more about me, you can go to my website, louisegolby.com, and you can follow my artist page on Spotify as well and listen to some of my music. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. This podcast is produced by Unedited.